Hello, and welcome back to another episode. My name is Jasmine Goodman, and I am your host of Office Hours Career Paths for PhDs. This is the place where you can come to learn all about the different paths that PhDs have taken inside and outside of academia. I am excited for you all to meet our guest for today. Her name is Dr. Aditi Paul. She is a principal user experience researcher. She earned her PhD in communication from Michigan State University. I will now bring her to the stage. Hello, hello. How are you? Dr. Jasmine Goodman. Thank you so much (laughs) for having me. Thank you. The kick that PhDs get in calling each other's doctors is truly truly unmatched because the kick that we get you know how like it's it's so easy to be douchey when you're a phd when i am buying my flight tickets and they're like what's your prefix i'm like i'm sorry doctor that's that's exactly what it is i don't have any paramedic chops on me but call me doctor because i have earned this Right. You know, I want people that are watching this, I want y'all to drop the different places that you just randomly mentioned your academic status because you know you work hard for it. People need to know about it. Your hinge profile, your Tinder profile, (laughs) you know, just shove that down people's gullet until they are absolutely convinced they're talking to an MD. But no, I am uh, you know, with much respect, we we know what it took for us to get through that journey. And I'm so excited to talk about that PhD journey and and beyond with you. Yes. Now tell me just a bit about yourself and your background before you got into your PhD program. I I know, Jasmine, we were talking about this offline where you said that you want to make this a space for diverse conversations. So in that In that spirit, what I will tell you is this. I'm not just diverse in terms of the fact that I am not from the U.S. I'm an immigrant. Uh, I moved to the U.S. from India back in 2010. Uh, But that's not the diversity I'm talking about. I'm talking about the diversity in terms of motivation. If if anybody who's listening over here thinks that, man, like, PhD? Like, I don't even have it in me to get a bachelor's. Trust me, I wanted to quit school after high school. I didn't have a bone of PhD in me. I had no motivation to study, but but I just ran out of options in terms of like what to do after master's. And that was the time when I was visiting my sister, bless her heart. She is in Michigan and she had her first child. I still to this day conspire that she had that child to rope me into the US. That's a huge investment to take and very narcissistic if you ask me (laughs) my take on my life. but yeah, I was visiting her when she was she had a baby and I was in my last year, second first year of my master's, completely hating it because I got my master's in computer science. Mm-hmm. And and this is back home in India. And my sister is like, yo, like, have you thought about life? And I'm like, I don't know, something's gonna figure something out. Um, and I did not want to get a job in computer science. I hated it, hated every bit of it. I did not like coding, but I just got really great grades. Like it's one of those things where I, I, I study really well and I can regurgitate materials very well. And that's what they assessed me. And I came out with flying colors, even hating my master's. I was really good at it, but I had no desire to continue my career. What I really, really had my heart set on is communication, like mass communication. I wanted the performative arts side of it. So my sister said that, well, you're in Michigan already. Why don't you just talk to some professors when you're here? And I'm like, okay, I'll talk with the mentality that I'm coming here with my master's for for, uh, performing arts or mass communication, something of that sort. 
So I talked with professors and I asked them, listen, like with my background in computer science, can I even do a mass communication or journalism-ish course? And they're like, absolutely. So my sister at this point, she and her wise pregnant brain counsel says, listen, dad is not going to pay for your vagaries. Because he is a staunch science graduate. He sees no merit in social sciences. He is not going to put a dent in his bank account. That too, when one USD equals 87 rupees in India, he is not going to pay for a master's in God knows what craziness. Right? He's not going to do that. So my sister is like, listen, why don't you just get a PhD, enroll in an MS PhD program so that you can save your coins. And if you don't like the vibe of the program, just quit after master's. That's it. That's how I got into a PhD program. That's how I got into a PhD program with no desire whatsoever to get into a PhD program. Great start. Great start. But I got such a false sense of confidence after taking my GRE, got a full ride from two schools, chose one, went into Bowling Green State University, got flying colors. And I'm like, damn, I'm born for this shit, right? Like I was acing every, every course. And then, and then my urban eliteness came kicking in because I was in Bowling Green State University. You have to zoom into Google Maps to look at Bowling Green State University. Like if you put Bowling Green, Google is going to take you to Bowling Green, Kentucky. It doesn't even identify Bowling Green in Ohio. Like that's how small it is. And here I am coming from a country of a billion people. I'm like, where are humans? Where are buildings? Like I miss it. So I thought, listen, if I have to get a PhD and have to stay here for four years, ain't no way I'm staying in a city, much love to Bowling Green. But if the highlight of my life is that a Walmart opened up, I am not there. So I chose to go to Michigan State. I transferred that decision. I still question to this day. Everything has worked out really well for me since then. But when I tell you, Jasmine, the first year and my entire program was so rough, so rough. And it took a while for me to understand, oh, this is the cadence of a PhD program of a top university in communication studies. And I had to really, really, really work myself up to that standard, which I thought I was in, but I clearly was not when I was coming into Michigan State University. So that's that's my the beginning of my journey in getting started on a PhD program. Couple of points. One, you are hilarious. I think you might be our funniest guest so far. <laughs> Two, your sister obviously had the baby to get you here. Um, her master plan worked because here you are. And then she also gave you this wisdom to pursue the MS PhD to save money, which is a great idea because most people don't think about that. Now, going into your program, let's say once you, you started at Michigan State, what did you think you were going to do with your career? Again, no idea. I was I was drifting. I was just so happy. I was so happy, Jasmine, that after five years of studying something that I did not want to study, that I was finally in a communication studies program and nothing met my expectations. Right. So in my head at that time in India, the field of communication was equivalent 
equivalent to mass communication. So I was into, I really liked emceeing. Like I wanted to host shows. I loved, I love debate. I like to be the huge main character energy, right? Like that's the summary of like who I was. I, I used to be like the girl in college. I was always like going to college fests and intra competitions. So I'm like, yeah, this, this is it. This is my vibe. This is what I want to do. And I thought that communication studies was the way to go. But that was not. That was not. When I came in, I'm studying things like Kuhn and theory yeah. and qualitative communication. <laughs> and I still remember I wrote it in my statement of purpose that I wanted to get a PhD in communication because I had read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence people i mean no idea what qualitative and quantitative research was and when i read a research paper i shit you not i cannot believe i'm cursing so much on your profile on your on your podcast but when i read a paper this is how clueless i was because phd is equal to research i didn't know that i thought oh yeah you just have to it's like masters but harder you know like it's like 5k versus 10k you just have to run a couple of more kilometers i'm like didn't know this was research. So this is how clueless I was. If anybody is listening to this uh, podcast and you think you're not cut out for PhD, please let me be your role model because this is who I was. I get a research paper and because I had not even read like as many books as my other peers, I automatically thought if this person has written something, then this person must be dead. So I thought all <laughs> researchers are dead people. <laughs> reading their work and then I realized oh no like these are alive people whoever thinks like theories qualitative intra what like cultural whatever critical and I'm like what is even this didn't have the vocabulary Jasmine didn't know what APA was. It was not just me learning about a new culture of education. It was me learning a new language. And the, and the most difficult thing was that I was in a program which was number one at the time. And it's not just number one. It is a very sectarian program. Mm. If you look at any other PhD in communication program, they are qualitative and quantitative and, and mixed methods. Michigan State University communication program is purely quant. So it ah. is a very, very, very traditional program. It's my way or the highway. So anybody who's coming into that program is motivated knows what the heck they want to do and they are there for that wise counsel and here i am just vibing just vibing. Hey, just, just here just here and when i tell you the way i got crashed and burned uh i say this with a lot of levity right now but as we are going to talk i'm going to tell you about the journey that i went through and quite quite funnily when i started my journey as a linkedin content creator that is the first story that I shared and the first story of vulnerability that I shared, which I was, I carried in my heart for so long. I went to therapy for two and a half years to get over the scars that were left on my soul in my PhD program. I finally came out and said it. And uh, on uh, on LinkedIn, when I was at a time in my life where I, where I felt that I could, I could say it out loud. Uh, and that, that post went viral. 
that post went that was my first post that broke my own linkedin and that made me realize that it's not our peaks that make us relatable to other people it's the troughs that do um and i'm saying this to you to encourage you not to discourage you from a phd but to encourage you that you don't have to be a full baked research cookie to get into a phd you can know nothing and 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 discover through experience but let that not rob you from an opportunity of having a doctor in front of your name that was amazing i have chills just kind of when you talked about you know having to go to therapy to kind of deal with the scars of the program because you enter one way and you leave almost completely different because of what you've been yeah. through. Some of those changes are good. Other changes are not so great. Tell me at the time, how did you navigate the series of challenges that you were experienced as you got acclimated to your program? So the first um, roadblock or, or, or the, the, the norm in the program was everybody knew that Michigan State's first year is the make or break year. So if you can make it through your first year, then you're there. Like it's an elimination round. Like, I don't know I signed up for some like reality game show, but here I am. So we, I went to these and, and, and remind you that I had one year buffer from Bowling Green State University and I aced every course there. And then I come here to Michigan State University and I'm like, man, I just don't understand anything. So now in hindsight, in hindsight, when I think about it, my six peers, there were only six people. I was the only Indian. I was the only foreign national in that in that cohort. Everybody else was either white uh, and, and one Asian student, I believe. Was there Asian? No, there was no Asian. So everybody else was white in my cohort. And not just that. I don't say their race because I want to make it a racial issue. I want to say their race because they were all American. And they, they had already written papers. They knew what research is. Listen, I have been a professor in the U.S. for seven years. In When I look at the way I taught my students and the kind of assignments that they're familiar with, this has added the fact uh, that I also noticed my nephew doing the kind of assignments he does in middle school, high school as, he grow- as he's growing up. I realized how different my tutelage was when I was in India. We have a very fact-based education system. So when you're in 11th grade, you're choosing a specialization. So in, in 11th grade, 11th and 12th, I chose science. So I was very used to objective-oriented answers, q and I didn't write a 900-page essay on anything, right? Over here, my nephew is writing essays on math. I'm like, How, what? How are you writing essays on numbers? Please do tell. But... American students are so used to writing. I never wrote a sentence in my life. The writing that I had was like sobby ass poems that I used to write after listening to like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, right? Like that's the only exposure to writing that I've ever had. And here I am paraphrasing, qualitative, quantitative, forget about writing. I can't even read a paper. (laughs) And here are my, my, my colleagues, right? At the time, who are full baked, like they have done the masters in Michigan State, they know research, they know Michigan State's way of doing research. And here I am a complete noob. And I'm struggling. I'm totally struggling through the first four classes, somehow made it through the skin of my teeth, 3.5 GPA. GPA. And it showed very well on my face and my demeanor that I had chewed on a cookie 
uh, chewed on something that I was not ready to chew on. Um, so in hindsight, I did get distracted with social events. I'm not going to pin it all on the faculty, but I too questioned the decision of them taking me in. Right. So till now, I always thought, man, I am to blame. We have that, right? Especially as women and, and talk about immigrant women. We never question the system. We think there's something wrong with me. So let me change myself so I can fit the system. As much as I take ownership of the fact that I was not ready and I had I, I had gone awry, I also questioned their decision of taking me in in the first place. If you think that this person is not ready, why take them in? And if you've taken them in, why not meet them where they are? right? Because I was so discouraged in the first couple of years, I stopped putting effort. And that lack of effort did not come from a lack of wanting to do work. It was a lack of confidence that I'm like, I'm not even cut out for this. I feel like I'm not good enough for anything. And this led me to a position which shook me up. So we are talking about 2011, I get, get into Michigan State University. 2014, I still remember the day like yesterday because it was so impactful in my life and it changed the course of my life. Um, my director, who was not a big fan of me at all, at all from jump, uh, <laughs> he called me into his office and he said that we as a faculty have had a vote and everybody has voted to dismiss you because you do not have what it takes to be a PhD student. You don't have the maturity. And uh, we don't like their, their fact was we don't feel comfortable you bearing the name of Michigan State University because there is a certain type of people who graduate. People who graduate have like 14 conference papers, multiple research papers. I had zero at the time. I had zero at the time and I did not even uh, I was not even a good research uh, assistant for my professors. So taking all of that, they said that, well, it's May. Um, your scholarship runs out in August. We want you to pack your bags and leave. So I had three months. I was I was in shock because it was not just me being fired from a program. It was also me being fired from the country. Because my existence in the country depended on a visa, which hinged on my continuation on the program. If the program is not there, what am I going to renew my F1 visa on? My student visa. So I didn't know what to do. So for the next three months, I, I called my sister. I told her this. Um, I, then I called one of my uncle, my, my uncles, and he had done his PhD in postdoc in University of Wisconsin. So he was here for a couple of years, back in the 80s, I'm talking about. So he's like, you know what? From my experience, I know American professors are kind. Why don't you go ahead and like ask them if they can like make some reservations for you, like, you know, give you a second chance. And let me tell you something that I had to get over as an Indian student. Indian education system can look at the prison system of U.S. and think that it's a joke. Indian education system is so tough. We are coming from a country of a billion people. Kids in India do not have a childhood. When we are children, two to three years old, we have extra tuition classes where their parents will send their children to get ahead of the crowd. We are not used to kindness. I'm not used to kindness. Students have had to get out of their hospital beds, fighting some death, and then go and take their test because no reservations are made for them. 
right? Wow. People have been denied taking a test because they did not have an admit card, like their ID. People are like, no, you don't have it, bring it later. And here I was a professor, okay, cut to eight years later and my students are like, I cannot come here for, because I had a bad mental health day, the way I had to humble myself. I'm like, I'm going to front so hard as a liberal professor, you're not even going to know the toxicity I have inside of me. So I was working with that mindset when I, when I, when I heard this person tell me that I'm dismissed, I'm like, this is it. I need, I need to go home. And now I'm thinking, did I even make a mistake abandoning my career in computer science? Like, even if I hated it, would it have been the best course? Lots of things going on in my head. So what I did after I, I, I centered myself, I remember it because that was the three months that I will never forget in my life. It has a good ending, by the way. So, you know, just, just a little bit of lack of tension. I, I emailed every professor in the department asking them to meet with me so I can learn more why I was dismissed. I said, I'm not going to challenge your decision. I just want to know how I can get better. Mm -hmm. So I knocked on the door on every professor, got humiliated by a lot of them because they pointed word for word why what I was doing wrong. And I told them, as you all know, that for a PhD, you cannot just do it on your own. You need a committee. You need a committee to review. And here I was getting fired in three months. And being a professor, I know how precious professors' times are. They don't want to invest time on a bucket case. And I was a bucket case at that time. So I had to negotiate. And I say that, please be on my committee so I can defend this first part of my dissertation. Please do that. And God bless four professors. They said, yes. And I was not expecting any support. This was on me. This was on me. For those three months, when I tell you, Jasmine, I, I busted my ass off to show my worth. I took, I spent $1,000 from my pocket to recruit students, get IRB, mm -hmm. do a complete experiment. Together with that, I took another course in statistics, upskilled myself, and turned an assignment that was that had to be submitted in that course. And I turned it into a two-page research paper and I submitted it at a journal. And that paper was a really top journal at the time. It got accepted. And I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I can do this. Now I have I I have the research in lock and I have another extra publication. Little did I know that that publication would go viral. I am getting calls from Washington Post, Huffington Post, Time Magazine, iHeartRadio, all of these channels, over 90 media publications reached out to me, quoting my two-page paper because it had gone against the grain of online dating at the time. So three years in, not only did I redeem myself, God redeemed me and how. No joke. At the end of fourth year, when my paper went viral, I was put in the student spotlight in the university website. So you went from being about to be dismissed to having this, this moment of reckoning and you put in the work and now you have a paper that's accepted. That is a phenomenal story. I'm curious, though, and I think this is my frustration and one thing I'll share with our audience. It's one thing to get into the Ph.D. program, but there's also a culture in that program that can absolutely impact your experience. But mm -hmm. that's the one piece. The second piece, I'm always curious how 
professors will allow a student to get so far in the process just to say no, when it's like, that's almost like, if I'm not doing something right, tell me so I can fix it, but don't wait until year three to say, oh yeah, this, this is not working out. You got to go in three months. That's Mm -hmm. not a humane way to treat someone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not how that should work. Wow. Okay. So you'll, you have a paper that goes viral or an article that goes viral about online dating. Would you care to share just a bit about your, that paper? Yeah. Um, so I was taking a statistics course and uh, we were we were learning STATA or S-D-A-T-S data. Um, and we had to crunch some numbers for an assignment. And this professor said that there is an open source in University of Michigan. You get like a lot of these data sets. Uh, and I went in there and I'm like, OK, I was I was doing my research in online dating anyway, like online dating and social media. And I found out a data set called How Couples Meet and Stay Together. It was done by two researchers from Stanford University. So I took that data set and I crunched the numbers and I wanted to answer the question, uh, is online dating better than offline dating? Because there's a lot of ruckus like back in 2014 when like dating apps are just getting into uh, like penetrating the market in a significant way. And there was a huge conversation like, oh my God, like Americans are always meeting each other online and getting married. One in five Americans. And I'm like, listen, I have been on a couple of Tinder dates and it's not, it's, it, this isn't, this ain't it, right? This ain't it. So I'm like, something is amiss. Uh, and two old white dudes crunched numbers. I'm like, really? I mean, do you really know what's happening on the grounds where people are getting decimated in online dating, please? Um, So I wanted to challenge that. And I crunched the numbers and I showed that, yeah, online dating is great if you only want to date, not if you want to marry, right? Mm -hmm. Because commitment uh, is very hard in online dating. So I crunched up the numbers, showed evidence, proselytized why uh, online dating matches do not sustain themselves. And, and that went viral. I'm like, damn. And here it is like, look, I need to be in the Oscars. So here I am just like almost saving myself from being fired. And iHeartRadio calls me in an interview. I'm like, Dr. Paul, or like at the time it was Aditi, like, Aditi, like, tell me why. And I'm like, Bro, I have no idea, but watch me front. Uh, so I, I, I gave a bunch of interviews. You know, got quoted in Time magazine. Uh, it was, it was a whole thing. And 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 you would think that that would just like, like that, like switch a light bulb and 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 make me think that oh, I'm not an imposter anymore. But the way that experience shook me that way that experience just like shook me to the core. It took me a while to get over that. And not just that, you know, after that, after that um, paper got out, I also got a tenure track job in nowhere else, but New York city. Like that's a big deal, right? Like getting a job straight out of grad school, that too, for somebody who has one publication to her name to get a tenure track job with that profile, Jasmine is tough. But so when I got the job, because I had this experience behind me, I went into the job thinking that I got lucky. That's why I didn't even negotiate a lot of the money. I didn't negotiate, right? Whatever they gave me, I'd like negotiate negotiate $5,000 more. And I took it because I was like, man, nobody would give me this job. I'm lucky to get this. So that, that 
experience changed or or stole i don't want to use the word stole or kept me from looking at me getting the job as i earned this i deserve this versus i got lucky right one quick question i'm curious what was the reaction like from your professors when your article went viral well first accepted peer review and then it went viral oh so the professor is like my mother, my advisor at the time. <laughs> she was very happy. She's like, Aditi, do you know that you're going viral? I'm like, what did I do now? So, I <laughs> um, but then I, then I, she told me that I, and then I realized, so this director person, <laughs> oh God bless his heart. He was the first person to when before, before even things went viral, he was the person when my research paper came out I mean, I am a big believer in in the divine, and I'm like, man, when when God redeems you, He redeems you, and how? Um, so not only did my paper come out in one of the top journals in psychology and communication, when when it came out, they wrote my name as Aditi Paul, comma PhD. So they had already given me a PhD even me before having to ask. So this dude calls me and says, Aditi, you need to call the uh, journal and tell them to redact the PhD. You don't have a PhD from Michigan State yet, and I'm like chillax dude like okay relax didn't say that because i was still shaking so i'm like okay okay yeah yeah yeah. i'll call them um so yeah that's that's that that's how he received it (laughs) wow you know and i think that's you touched on a lot of things that can really impact someone's experience and also impact how they choose to move forward in their careers you talk Mm -hmm. even you were afraid to negotiate because you still felt like you got lucky versus, you know, Mm -hmm. actually earning the role. So at what point did that, that switch flip for you where you realized that you earned it, you deserved it and that you were qualified to be there. Mm. So again, I mean, the, the thrust of me gaining recognition on LinkedIn and on social media is truly based on my failures, truly. So when I told you that the first post that went viral was me sharing how I was dismissed from the PhD program, the second post that went viral was when I said in my first three years as a professor, I had zero publications. And I, I shared about my journey that I, between 2015 to 2018, I had zero publications, had nothing to show. And that uh, reflected in my mid-tenure review. Uh, and I was very vulnerable at that time. Um, and 2019 is when that switch flipped, when a male professor in the department took advantage of my vulnerability, right, and started behaving toxic toward me. And I'm like, I need to get the heck out of here. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of here. So I started working my butt off my butt off to get my publications in order. That was also the time that I started going to therapy. And I had a lot of conversations because whenever I would sit down to write, I was so crippled with anxiety that I couldn't get a word out. If only Chad GPT was there, you know, I didn't even, I wouldn't have even needed therapy. Like I wouldn't have done anything. I'm like, Chad GPT, come on, man, you did me dirty. You could have existed at the time. 
you know so here i am trying to like to stitch two words together and i truly like i talked at length with my therapist that do i really have it in me to be a researcher like do i even like this am i even cut out for this can i write and 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 i had to have those difficult conversations but every single day i had to show up i had to show up jasmine because i was so determined to redeem myself um and i just couldn't because i'm an immigrant i just couldn't do it by sheer grit i had to unshackle myself from the limiting temporary visa that i was in at that time So I was on something called H1B cap exempt visa that only allowed me to work for the employer in higher education. Okay. So if I had to get out of higher education, I needed a green card. So these were the odds stacked up against me when my when my nationality uh was a detriment because of the inequitable immigration laws that are in place in America where because you every country has something called a country cap in us immigration law where if 100 people apply for their green card from country 1 only 7% gets that green card and this 7% is irrespective of country size so country size 7% of macedonia is very different than 7% of india we're a giant ass country and the entire tech industry is running on indian immigrant blood with with all the coders you see it it's all it's all indian immigrants so everybody is in line So I for me to be able to get a green card I had to prove I'm extraordinary. So if you go to USCIS and you look up extraordinary permanent residency you will see that one of the requirements hold your hold your horses is getting an Oscar. And I'm like yeah because like everybody has a freaking Oscar lying in their basement that just like pop up. And I'm like are you for real right now? So if you don't have an Oscar then you have to show that you have scholarly contributions that you have impact in the field that you have judged other people's work that you have international acclaim that you've been invited 10 different criteria. Wow. And here I am 2019 trying to get out of this situation trying to boost up my research productivity under the restraint of a temporary visa everything the solution of all of that was for me to become a strong researcher. Hmm. So I had I had to do this. I was not born to do this. I was not cut out to do this. I worked my butt off to become a researcher. I did not have any 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 other solution to you except for this that I had to work on every aspect of becoming a researcher to to put my life in check. What do you do next? once you know that you have to be this extraordinary individual by their standard mm-hmm. how did you how did you move forward so i i i am really good at creating relationships and sustaining them so i started relying on my contacts so one of them was my my students who wanted to work with me the other person was a professor now at singapore who who saw one of my research projects and said listen i'm i'm willing to work with you on this but but i need credit i'm like absolutely we'll do it i looked at every opportunity to upskill so by the end of like this was also the time i was going over 10 year by the way um so i was i was going through the green card process i was going for 10 year and i was also fighting title 9 to keep this uh, abusive person in check um all of this going on covid hit right um 
I was locked, locked up at home. Haven't seen my family in three years. Don't know when I'll be able to see them. Uh, my temporary visa was expiring. So everything, there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure on me. Um, but I took it one step at a time. I grabbed onto every opportunity I got. I remember in 2019, there were two opportunities that, that I really wanted to redeem. One was uh, a visiting professorship program in New York University. And the other one was a visiting professorship program at National Advertising Council. And both of them were the same time in June. And I didn't want to miss out on either because both would demonstrate my extraordinariness, which would help me in my green card. Uh, and also my tenureship. So I remember like going to one in the morning and then like packing them and uh, packing my bags and say that I have to leave like an hour early to go to the other one. And I made sure I went for both. So I did a lot of these, a th lot of these things. I went to uh, a conference and uh, again, by the way, I didn't like suffer through the entire thing. I was having fun. Um, I, I went to, I went to Spain and then I was at a conference and a book editor reached out to me and said, Hey, do you want to write a book on online dating? I was still coasting on the previous glory that I had from my online dating paper. It, it was so powerful that it coasted me through the next, the next three years. Um, and this person seeing that said that, do you want to write a book? I'm like, sure, because that's what you do. You don't know anything about anything, but you say yes. So I said yes. Uh, and and I and I started writing the book. The book went through its trials and tribulations where the, the first blind editor said something like, while I do not... Uh, do not uh, doubt one bit that Dr. Paul can do literature review. This is not original contribution. So I had to go back and revisit, leave it up to academia and reviewer too, to say the most scathing things. Like mm -hmm. the comment section on YouTube has nothing on you when you've been through academia. Yeah. Um, so every time I bring that up is because every time I used to get those rejections, that 2014 Aditi would flare up, right? The 2019 vulnerable Aditi would flare up. So I had to do continuous work on myself to, to hear that voice, acknowledge it and move on. Hear that voice, acknowledge it and move on. Hear that voice, acknowledge it and move on. And when I tell you the only way that I could get over this crippling anxiety, this crippling imposterness or, or, or this doubt that I had in myself of being a good researcher is just doing the work no matter what I did the work, no matter what I did the work. Um, and I'm really happy about that. You know, I, I do not want to glorify the trauma. I do not want to glorify the learning experience that I've had. But if not that, then I would not have been the self-made researcher. And just the other day, um, I, I do a lot of my work on raising awareness and immigration. And I was my story was covered by uh, India's leading English daily called the Times of India. And the, the headline said, a researcher who helps young Indians go through their U.S. immigration journey. Like, look where that title has got me, right? So I'm ever so thankful for all the experiences that I've had in becoming a strong researcher and having that research mindset because I would truly, truly not have it any other way. Got it. That's such a powerful story. Now, once you get your documentation, like what was that process like for you to pull everything together, apply? Um, I'm, I'm curious, and I, I'm sure our audience would want to know more about that process. Of a uh, green card or uh, getting out of that? Okay. So once you, you know, you got your book deal, you go viral, you get into gear with doing research. How long was that process for you to, to finally get the green card? 
So I started building my profile very, very diligently uh, in 2019. Uh, between 2019 to 2021 November, I had put in everything and then some. This was also the time in 2020, 2019, 2021 November is also when I had gotten like multiple yeses on my tenure dossier. So I send all of those supporting documents. So I got my green card in hand in May of 2022. And I needed that green card to start my transition to the industry. But I didn't, I didn't wait to get my green card. I started the process in August of 2021. When I realized that at that time, you know, what happened, a beautiful thing that happened was, as I worked my way up to becoming a strong researcher and a, and a good professor, I realized my worth. I realized my worth. I realized I am bringing so much more to the university than what the university is giving me. I need to get out. I need to get out. So if no, those things would not have happened, man, I would have still been been in the university, lived in, living in that aura that I'm just so thankful to get. I'm just so thankful to be in New York City. I'm so thankful that I got a job. But that that tough journey made me realize my worth that I am much more than this. It, it humbled me. So I did not get roped up in the ego of being an associate professor with tenure and not take up the opportunity to take this time in my career to say, I've done what I could do in academia. I've shown my worth in academia. Now I need to move on. And that's what I did. Um, after getting my green card in May 2022, the first thing I did was pack my bag and go home, met my met my mom and dad, went on a vacation with them. And I actively, actively searched for interviews, interviewed with my with companies, followed up with them. By that time, between because I'd started the journey in August 2021, I had already known what it takes to like write a good resume and, and network. And, and when you're talking about good mentorship, joined Facebook groups, uh, because I looked into user research, I joined Facebook groups like PhD to UXR, got on one-on-one -on -one calls, uh, went to this website called adplist.org. I had 30-minute mentorship sessions. And by the end, I had a 1,000 minutes of being mentored. So that's what I do really good. I, I love having conversations and taking a literature review approach where mm -hmm. you look at everything about everything and you synthesize it and you make it your own. So that's what I did when I, when I was transitioning from academia to industry. And by the time I got a job in the industry, I, the, the salary that they were offering me as an associate professor I made $100,000 more than that as my in my industry job. I hope my employer is not listening. They will think that they have overpaid me. $100,000 more than your associate professor salary. Mm -hmm. That does not show how well I'm paid now. That just showed how underpaid I was as a professor. Now, what, when you got the offer letter, what was, how did you feel? You know, uh, man, like getting a PhD, getting a job, getting my green card, getting the job offer. It was a culmination of such a rough ride that by the time that happened, I was just calm. Mm -hmm. I was just calm. There was no like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, no, I was just calm. I, I was like, OK, OK, I want to make I want to I want to make sure that this is this is on lock. So that I have to tell my my university that okay, thanks, bye. Um, so I wanted to 
wanted to have that. And you know what? I want to acknowledge this, that when you, when you are on survival mode for so long, and this is something that immigrants would understand very well, whoever is listening, your, your place in this country is threatened continuously, continuously, so much that your brain is wired into anxious mode, that you're always thinking on if then else, if then else, if this does not happen, then what happens? If this does not happen, then what happens? You're always making an exit strategy. So I got into the habit of catastrophizing everything, everything. So when I got this job offer, I wanted to make sure that everything has gone through. I wanted to make sure that the green card that I got, which they needed for my job offer, it actually went through. I'm like, oh my God, like, did my green card glitch? Like, what the hell just happened? I wanted to make sure because I needed to get out of the professorship job and I needed this to work out. I needed this to work out. Um, and, And given that the experiences that I've had in the past, I couldn't help but catastrophize it until I had my first day in the job. Um, so yeah, I, I, how did I feel? I felt it's not real until it's real. Got it. Okay. What was your first day on the job? Like, I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I did all that for this. I'm like, no, like that's it in terms of like, job i'm like dude where's the work you don't know how hard i can work like you don't know you don't know how hard an academic can work because we are always multitasking we are working even when you're not working right i was i was working for my book i was working for my book publicity i was working for three classes i was working for tenure i was working for my green card i was doing five jobs last year right and here i have to attend two meetings on my first day i'm like Bro, what? Again, I hope my employer is not listening because I don't want to be pounded by work tomorrow. But truly, truly, a career in academia will teach you hard work. A career in academia will teach you work ethic. I I have such a strong work ethic because of my my role as an academic and my role as a professor. Again, like I said, I wouldn't want to start my professional career any other way than being a professor. And I wouldn't want my career to look anything else than what it looks now. You couldn't pay me enough to be a professor. You couldn't pay me enough. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to continue my life being a professor, but I love students. And I have found out my own way to to support students. Uh, and that's the, that's the part that I truly, truly enjoyed um, because it, it's tangible impact, right? Like it's tangible impact. And, and, and teaching students is like a drop in the ocean. You never know the ripples that they will create. Um, and that's such a gratifying profession to be. So I have crafted my own way of helping international students figure their lives out in the U.S. now. Tell us more about that. So again, like, man, so many traumatic events. (laughs) Now you know why I'm funny. It's the trauma, honey. It's the trauma. The more the trauma, the more the humor. Um. So last year, like I said, I, I'd written a book. My book was on hookup culture and college students. Um, it's it was I it was such a fun project. Um, do I have it? 
uh, a year. So this was the book that I came out last oh, year. Nice. Um, and I was, I, I had to promote this book because USCIS said that I did not have enough international acclaim. So I had to like get international acclaim to, and, and book, the book became my resource. So I had to sell the book in international markets, not as selling units, but selling my knowledge. So in that effort, um, I, again, like, you know, in academia, even for like $2, you need to draft up a grant. So I wrote a grant, a grant application saying that I need some money to promote this book. Uh, so I got $5,000 from the university. That's a lot getting out of a university. Uh, and and I'm like, okay, what do I do with this five grants? Um, so I went to a PR agency. Um, and first of all, I talked to professors saying who had already written books. This is, again, something that I would encourage your listeners to do. The biggest hack in life. Life. The biggest hack in life is to talk to people who are where you want to be. Mm. So if you have to talk, you have to want to be an author, talk to authors. If you want to be a UX researcher, talk to UX researchers. If you want to be a founder, talk to founders and see what the path ahead looks like. So I talked to professors who had written books. I'm like, Dr. So-and-so, how did you how did you promote this book? How did you get this uh, invitation? And people are very willing to share their experience. Look at me, like giving one hour spiel on my life. Um, and they said that do this, this and this. So I was like, okay, good. I will, I will do this, this, this and that. And then on top of that, uh, instead of going to a PR agency, because the PR agency was charging me $5,000 for three months, $15,000 with no guarantee of a placement. I'm like, you are talking to an Indian. Frugality is in my blood. You are not going to fool me. So I took it upon myself and I found out innovative ways to market my book. One of those innovative ways was to recruit a personal branding expert on LinkedIn. Again, like, you know, glory be to God, showing me ways in which I didn't know ways could exist. Um, this person, she, <laughs> if you go to her LinkedIn her bio is so cheesy. And I've said this to her. Her bio is so cheesy. You can't help but hit her up. I'm like, the gall of you to write that on LinkedIn. Like, you you must be some type of crazy and I need to meet you. So <laughs> I... Like, we must I'm meet like, now. <laughs> we must meet today, pronto. So she is a, a, a woman from Mumbai, India. And you want to know what the LinkedIn bio was? Yeah, the LinkedIn bio was cut me and I will bleed content. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Even Martin Luther King was not this passionate, you know, like cut me and I will like, I'm sorry, what? So I'm like, you, my friend, you, my friend are a different breed. I need to meet you must. So I met her and and I told her, Bonita, I've written this book. I need to promote it, not to promote the book, but to show myself as an authority because I need to get a job in the industry and industry people need to know my worth. Uh, they cannot just box me into just another academic who cannot do the real world stuff. I'm like, nah, -uh, I will show you. So I started my personal branding journey through that, right? And Punita said that, Aditi, what you think people will appreciate is not what they appreciate. You think people are going to be so excited by your, by your like appearance in like the New York times or like the Washington post and uh, WNYC. No, they are going to relate to your struggles. So talk about your struggles, talk about the process over the outcome. People want to see themselves in you. 
they want to see that if Jasmine can do it, I can do it too. You need to foster that sense of community in your audience. That's what I did. Again, against everything, every inch in my body who did not want to share her green card story because like it becomes very like, Oh my God, I'm one step closer to being an American. Like it's got, it's got a little bit of a, like that kind of vibe, right? Like, I mean, I'm so happy to be a permanent resident, very happy on indeed, very happy. But being a permanent resident in the U S for me was to, to gain my freedom that I had lost to the immigration system, right. To gain back that freedom. I didn't want to get opportunity at the cost of my freedom. So that's why I, I pushed for my green card. And that's what I shared. I shared the struggles that I had to go through to get a green card. And 6,000 people liked that. My follower count went from 1,000 to like 7,000 overnight. Because people are hungry to know. Everybody has lost hope in the U.S. immigration system. If you're not an immigrant, you're not going to understand. This is not politicized. It's not politicized at all. It's just the system is overburdened and understaffed. And add to it the biases that come with it. Add to it the inequitable laws that we are working with. Everybody is hungry to get out of this rigmarole. And that's what I shared. And that's the community that I built. So over the last eight months of me posting content on immigration consistently, four times a week, I share immigration content through memes. I share it through uh, carousels. I share it through videos. Right now, the community has grown from a couple of thousand to 18,877. And what I'm most excited about is the immigrant community on the side, this this exclusive community that I serve that has grown from a zero to one thousand eight hundred eight one thousand eight hundred and one as we speak today, and it's same. You know, it's the students who have to build this grand profile, who are so so intimidated with the requirements that they have given up the fight even before they have come into the arena. So to create a sense of support for them, to create a sense of confidence in them that listen. You got this. No matter what, you got this. I've been through it. And not just me. I don't want to be the fountainhead of knowledge. Uh, I want other people to to share their expertise. So just today, somebody shared in the community how they got their green card petition approved. Uh, I'm talking to him and we are going to host a, uh, an event with him uh, being the speaker because guess what? Even he wants to be appreciated for the work that he has done, right? We all, at the end of the day, Jasmine, we all want to be appreciated. We we want somebody else to see the value in us, which gives us a little bit of hope to live another day. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you wanted to pursue communication to be this creative and you found your way back to that creativity in this yeah. work. Um, that. Like I just have chills listening to all of this. Now, you've already shared so much, but just thinking about what's some final words or advice you'd be willing to share with people who, like you said, they've lost hope um, and they're wanting to kind of gain clarity around what to do next. Because it's one thing to be able to, you know, get the green card and kind of have that freedom but then mm. what about having a career that you like, how do you, what's some advice you have around 
they can, how they can pick a career path that will also be fulfilling, that will give them that energy, that will give them that, that freedom, that satisfaction. I mean, looking back to the journey that I've had and the journey that I'm still on, like I, I'm young. I mean, I might look a little older because I have like a couple of gray hair because of all the stress I've gone through uh, <laughs> on a staple diet of Rogaine, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> but this is what I have. This is what I realized, you know, like you can only, you can only figure out so much by sitting and thinking, mm-hmm. do something do something right and let go of any expectations of that something because this is what it is do enough things that do not matter until you find the thing that actually does you will not be able to find things that matter from the get go but trust that it will eventually lead you to the way it's like walking in new york city you get out of the subway you want to go somewhere you might take five wrong turns but eventually you're going to land where you are where you want to go but you can never sit and think that there is some stroke of motivation that's going to come to you and things are just going to align as they should no just take steps right without the expectation that this is going to lead somewhere you will see that it will lead you to a place that you didn't even think about and all the gaps all the mess ups all the kinks that you have in your journey it becomes your value everything that i have thought till now the things that i thought were holding me back the things that i thought were my disadvantage have become the biggest source of power for me i used to think that man why don't I have a, why don't i have an american passport so that like i didn't have to go through the shit if i didn't have to go through that shit how would i ever have built a community of 18000 people how would i ever have a dream that i want to sustain this and make it bigger and serve so everything that i once construed as my biggest disadvantage has been the source of strength and been the source of value wow how can people get in contact with you where can they find you tell us all the ways that you have um pushed yourself out there and created this platform for us to enjoy i mean to say people are still listening to this episode they people are <laughs> yes, i'm sure they are <laughs> you're like okay, enough enough trauma dumping <laughs> enough um no but i'm i'm so grateful that you took the time to listen to my story i i'm i'm genuinely so so excited to build out the community that i that i currently am in the process of building i'm applying for funds getting want to build a digital product to to help students find each other help each other out for one immigrant to hold the hand of another immigrant and pull each other up because when one wins we all win um so if you want to join me on that ride please join me on linkedin that's where i'm the most verbose um my tag is dr aditi paul it's the same on instagram on instagram i should warn you i'm much more unhinged um Ooh. and <laughs> and by that i mean i'm just just my instagram story today is the the word choices that i had for wordle that's the level of my unhingedness just calm your expectations and uh i'm also on tiktok i'm trying to create videos it's a one man army for now but everywhere it's the same it's dradtpaul.com dradtpaul got it well thank you so much this has been 
and insightful, inspiring. Just it's been all the things. And I cannot wait for our viewers to either watch or listen to this. I will also say thanks so much for watching and make sure that you subscribe and share this interview with a PhD that you love.